I feel out the conversation and the level of education someone has and the experience they have with working with photographer, whether it's their first time or their 50th time, or have they ever created a video or they've created 30 projects. So by me asking questions in that consultation process, that gives me a better understanding of where the client is coming from. And then it turns into a feedback loop of me educating them and getting up to speed on their particular project. And I, I think that's, again, that's another thing that I, I it's not that I offer, it's just who I am and who I, what I bring to the table as far as why hire me. This is Voices in the Spotlight, where we showcase startup founders, entrepreneurs, business executives, healthcare professionals, book authors, and others who are eager to share information about themselves, their companies, their products, and their services with you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Voices in the Spotlight. Hey, are you in need of a good photographer or filmmaker? Or maybe you are a photographer or filmmaker by profession or by hobby. On today's show, we'll shine the spotlight on John Welsh, founder and creative director at Rare Light Media. John's been a photographer and filmmaker for decades. As you'll hear, he knows his craft well, and he excels at creating stories out of the work he does. John's versatile, too, taking on projects large and small, for-profit and not-for-profit. Please give a listen to what John has to say, including the many tips he offers on how to choose or work with a photographer or filmmaker. You'll find more information about John Welsh, Rare Light Media, and their services at www.rarelightmedia.com. Now, before we get started, I want to say a few words about our sponsor, Superpass. Do you make podcasts, video courses, or other content? Well, that means you need your own engaging website and mobile app for everything you make. And Superpass can help. Turn your followers into superfans and paid customers. Elevate your brand with your own stunning website and mobile app. And with Superpass, it's never been easier. Superpass is the most powerful content app maker on the market. And now you can try it for free. Or like me, you can be on one of their other plans. Enter code LOOKINGFORWARD, all one word, all caps, LOOKINGFORWARD, and get a 10% lifetime discount on any of their plans. Go to superpass.com. That's super with an A, superpass.com. And hey, if you want us to mention your organization on the show, please contact us for more details. Well, hi, John. Welcome to Voices in the Spotlight. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about what I do. Well, I think what you do is very exciting, and I'm glad that we're going to share it with people, John. I think a good starting point would be if you could tell us just a little bit about what made you establish Rare Light Media and what happened before that in your career that led to that? Sure. I want to call myself a refugee from the world of journalism in the sense that I was a newspaper photographer for a really long time. And that's mainly what I did. And we didn't do video back then. I'm talking from the early 90s until 2006 or seven, probably. And as the world changed, and I was still doing my photography for the newspapers and corporate clients too, because I freelanced a lot, I saw the need for audio and still photography. And then it eventually turned into video. And 
the world stopped for certain newspapers where there wasn't the work anymore, but I kept going and I realized that if I wanted to keep in business as a photographer, I needed to change. So I worked on my own for a while. I started a small production company and then I realized I needed to go back to my roots as an individual storyteller, but I realized the value of a company name versus if I would go by my usual John Welsh photography, I would get hundred questions about, do you do weddings or family portraits? And yeah, I've done maybe 20 of those in 36 years. Yeah. But I really wanted to just focus on the idea of being a company and what I can offer in the, in the way the markets change and marketing for companies. Well, you pointed out something interesting there, John, which is the importance of pivoting. And the other thing is the importance of what you name your business. So thanks for sharing those. Let's get into a little bit more of Rare Light Media itself. What are some of the services that you offer? You do photography work. Maybe we ought to have you start with that. So I actually started in, in fashion photography because it was the most creative and it was interesting working with people. I got a good sense of working with all different people from all different walks of life and dealing with the business. I really like the aspect of storytelling. So I pivoted back in the early 90s and my first pivot, I should say. And I got into working for newspapers and I love that aspect of storytelling. And through that, I got to travel a bunch, mostly local to the Philadelphia area. But my need for traveling on my own always is there. And so how I got into at least the name of Rare Light Media was when I was doing some work in Iceland, it was more of a project started by myself of landscapes that were very different than most photographers. And when it came time to start Rare Light Media, I was thinking of names and I was looking at my pictures from Iceland in particular because they resonate with me the most. And I just saw the amazing light that you see in the Arctic. And it's rare. And it's a very simple solution from there as far as the name. And as far as what I offer, I definitely work with my photography. But video and script writing and graphic design, they're not all done by myself because I'm a collaborator. So I usually find the right person for the client to work with and can expand and scale up or down depending on what their needs are. Okay. You've certainly done a lot of filmmaking and even won some awards and recognition for that. Be good for you to share with everybody the filmmaking work that you do and Rare Light Media is doing. Sure. The filmmaking that I do, it's really, I look at it as a calling card for me in the sense that I look for stories that are intriguing and are going to grab an audience. One of the most successful short films, it's only seven minutes long, was about mine fires in Pennsylvania. Everyone knows of Centralia, but there's actually, I don't know what the latest count is, but at the time of filming, there were 80 mine fires. Wow. Just in Pennsylvania that no one knows about. So we titled that Scorch, which was a good title for that. And it, I entered into a bunch of film festivals and it's compared to the others that I've done that really grab people the most. They wanted to know more. And that's a good barometer for me to see if my vision is resonating with people. And it's the feedback loop of then, okay, what do I create next? And they're calling cards and yeah, film festivals are great and they're fun. It's never about how much money I make from a particular independent film. Those films have gotten me jobs. People see that vision. And that's, the, I see a big importance in doing independent work like that. A film I'm working on now that's definitely in the profit mode versus just an independent film. It's called The Grey. And it's a story of Kim Walmus. She won Rolex, the three-day 
competition or the eventing that I'm new to the horse world and which is a very big deal in, in Kentucky. And it really talks about her journey through life and, and teaching healing through writing. It goes in so much depth and I'm in the middle of this, but I'm realizing the scope of who I'm speaking with, with Kim. And she's a wonderful woman. And the magnitude of what she's done is sometimes lost on me in a sense, because I, it's just, it's, this is our crew. It's Kim and everyone else who's involved. And I can talk about that in a little bit later about how I chose that crew or how I was chosen by the people. But the scope of that is, is amazing because she's been around the world and has done amazing things. And we're looking at this as a way to, yeah, let's not keep it as an independent calling card. Let's turn it into something that will make some money for all of us. Yeah. I'd like you to elaborate a little bit on the genres of the films that you make. Here you're talking about a for-profit film. You talked about Scorched, which is about an issue that is in Pennsylvania, these fires underground. Can you talk just a little bit more about the kinds of films that you make or can make for people? Sure. Other projects I've worked on involve industrial heritage or music collaborations. So I get to work on very diverse projects. But I've also recently finished, I wouldn't call it a film, although we treated it in a documentary sense. I did an, a project I'm really happy with, with Agnes Irwin to go out in Radnor, Pennsylvania. They had a visiting scholar for an entire year and they wanted to create a film about that they would show to the parents and alumni of the value of sending their kids to Agnes Irwin. And it was fascinating to learn about AI and the future of that and how it's going to impact people that are not, I'll say white males, because white males were the programmers. So there's a certain bias that wasn't inherently against anyone, but it's in the code. And Agnes Irwin is in all girls' school. So it was really great to see them come together and say, let's talk about the future. So even though that's a, it was a two or three minute presentation, we treated it as a documentary and it was great to, to be able to address some of those issues and turn a profit on that. My sense is, from what I know about you and what I'm hearing here, you do work for both for-profit and not-for-profit organizations. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So in addition to my photography, I have a long relationship with Villanova University, and I teach there now as well. I'm teaching there for at least 10 years. I, I do a lot of work for them, for their magazine. I've shot so much over the years for their alumni magazine and video projects as they come up. That's one example of, I don't know how universities categorize themselves as for-profit or not, but some do as non-profit. I also work for a smaller college that to me is now like family and Manor College in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. And I look at the scope of say Villanova or some of the other universities and they're very big colleges. Well, Villanova isn't big compared to say Temple, but it's large and versus Manor is very small. I think they have three buildings, but it's, they're such a great client to have. And I don't think of them as a client anymore. They're more like family. So I like being able to, again, pivot between larger scale and bigger, the bigger sense of who the client is to even the smaller scale. That's what I got um, the sense of. And speaking of a nonprofit world, there are two nonprofits I work for. One is in Northeast PA. It's called Epcamera. I'm not going to read it all out for you, but they do. It's Eastern Pennsylvania Coalition for Abandoned Mine Reclamation. Very long title. But that's what they do. They were in charge of cleaning water and monitoring water flows and so much more than that. And they're really great people there. And we've done a lot of work. We just 
finished a project that is a virtual reality, 360 degree project of images and videos where they can show schools and, get, and give them a lesson in environmental education about what's happening in Pennsylvania. So that's one completely scientific and very different type of project versus this nonprofit in Lambertville, New Jersey, that I just did a video on their Fisherman's Mark. They're looking to expand their, their programming and the video is a 90 second for a grant application. I'm hoping they, they land the grant with help from the video we created for them. So it's varied for sure. Yeah, I can definitely see the versatility, the size of the organization, the profit versus nonprofit, whether you're focusing on something that's an issue that's out there that needs to be addressed. I'm wondering what do you think separates rare light media from the multitude of organizations out there that do the sorts of things that you do, John? What's different? Why should people contact you? You've right. talked about some things already, I think, that are distinctive, but be helpful for people to know that. Sure. I think what's different about me, and is, and this is where I meld myself into the company because the company is me and I'm the company, right? Is my approach to storytelling and not being afraid to go on a tangent if needed to really dive into a subject and then to educate and consult along the way to really get the client up to speed on how to produce this in the most efficient way whatever we're working on. So that's something that a lot of people do that, but do the interviews, but it takes a different mindset, I think, to tell a story that has a tangent that is unexplored sometimes. And I think that's a strength of mine because I'll go into areas. I've seen films about Centralia and there's a few of those and they're about one issue. Really, that's a global film. There's a mine fire on every continent except Antarctica. Yeah, we need a lot of funding to do that, but how to expand that, create the awareness of what the problem is. So I'm willing to take on all different types of approaches and not just leave it as a laboratory template of here's how to create a short film about your business. I really want to get into knowing the people and exploring ideas. There's a lot more, I'll say, improvisation or creativity that goes into what Rare Light Media is doing. It's not really cookbook-ish at all. Correct. That's the idea. and. That's what I'm, what I've aimed for. And even in the few short years I've, since I've created the business, I've gotten to that point. I should say first launched the business in January of 2020, thinking I'm going to have a great year ahead of me. What, I a, had, what a time. <laughs> I had so much lined up until the plug was pulled in March. I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. I have my logo. I have everything set up to go website. I'm still working on that. Yeah. And then it came to a halt. So 2023. Hey, reset button. And the work that I did, even through COVID, I was still able to use some of that. And I finally got to launch it in 2023. Yeah. And now it's obviously got a lot of momentum. John, no matter who we are, if we're in business, even in life, I would say there's something that is funny that happens to us, but we're going to focus on business. You, for many years, have been doing photography. You're doing filmmaking. What's something funny that's happened to you in the course of running your businesses? Actually, very good timing to talk about Iceland because there's a current eruption going on. A volcano is going again, which is not uncommon for Iceland. And so that's in the news right now. And in the past three years, it's been like that. And it's fascinating to see all these surreal image images and imagery and video from Iceland. 
that's happening now. When I started working in Iceland, it was probably around 2001, 2002 in that period. And it started off as I need to travel and I need to get away somewhere. Not necessarily at the photography project or an idea. Uh, it turned into that. And I, I really wanted to focus on landscapes that were generated by a photographer, meaning me, that doesn't do landscapes. Uh, I'm from Philly. I hike and I like being outdoors, but I'm not a traditional landscape photographer. So the idea was to go and I spent probably eight months there total. And so to go and explore and really come up with these surreal images of what I experienced while traveling there. So one of the trips, again, looking for all these different and interesting moments. And this was during the winter. So it was only a short window of daylight. And I was hiking in a small town looking for this geothermal area that may give me interesting shots of steam and lighting and volcanic geography and all these things that were foreign. And I'm hiking. I know I had a short window of time. And instead of finding that scene, I found the golf course, which I don't know how it got into this valley in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) They put it there. I'm thinking, where are the odds of me being on a golf course in the wintertime looking for a geothermal area instead? And that's just... It's still funny to me. (laughs) Yeah. Who would have thought, right? Yeah. Who would have thought? Another thing that I think people like to hear about, because again, we all can learn something if we're in business or not. What is a powerful lesson that you have learned in your career that you think would be worth sharing with others? That's a really good question about lessons learned. And besides being authentic with people. That's a really important lesson in documentary world to immediately be yourself so people gain trust. That's a given and that's what you have to do. But more important, and it's something that's hidden that especially among photographers that I've seen, and I've given talks to universities and been on advisory boards for education for different schools, is the ability to learn to write well and to speak well. And that works for me, being a media company now, it's a lot of photographers don't want to write and they don't want to ever be in front of a camera or give lectures or talks. And that's completely legitimate if you're in business. But I think in the, this day and age of having to expand and pivot and become a multifaceted media company, writing is huge. So I, that's something that I, I give advice to, to young photographers or anyone. Don't lose this. Learn how to do this. Yeah. And I think it's probably good for you also to go back to something you said earlier. I certainly agree. Writing is important. When you're teaching at Villanova, what are you teaching? Photography, filmmaking? What is it that you're teaching? The course I'm teaching at Villanova is titled Digital Photography. So it's really, it's a fine art. It falls under the fine art program, which is nice to be able to have that considered as fine art because often photography was not considered fine art. It was... Weddings and portraits, which they're sure they're great to do that, but it's really an ex- exploration for the students. And they all, they come from all different backgrounds and majors. And it's nice. It gives them some freedom to be able to not be worried about their engineering final, for instance, or, or whatever they're doing. That's high level. Right. It's challenging because they can't grade on creativity because everyone is different. So I have, so I give them, but I give them the freedom to work and it seems to be going well because I'm still there and the feedback is getting better every year. It must be very rewarding. It is. I hope you're enjoying today's Voices in the Spotlight show. If you're looking to promote what you or your business offers, then you might make for a great guest on Voices in the Spotlight too. 
Here are a few examples of whether our show might be a good fit for you. Are you looking to raise capital for your new venture? Do you have life lessons, a success story, or a special set of skills you can teach people? Have you published a book you want to promote? Are you launching a new product or service? Do you have a business or franchise you want to sell? Are you looking to attract the best talent to your organization? To find out more about Voices in the Spotlight and to find out how to be a guest on our show, please visit us at www.jeff-ostroff.com. There you can also learn about some of our other services, such as podcast hosting and content creation, voiceovers, and in-depth interviewing for organizations who want to learn more about their customers, prospects, or competitors. Okay, let's get back to today's show. John, thinking about how many of us, particularly if we're in business, will need to have a headshot or headshots taken, right? Or something else, we're at an event, we need somebody to take some film or photography of that. And then there are fewer people, but still many who need films made, videos made. What would you tell them to think about, whether they would be your client or not, that they should be considering in the process? And when I say in the process, John, I mean in the process of both selecting somebody and then doing the actual work. We, I think we all need to know that kind of stuff. It really is important. And it's funny because I, I think this has been a struggle for photographers since they, there was a business of photography is the value of photographers. And it's now that the cell phone is so prominent in the world that I take good cell phone pictures. I should. I'm a photographer. I should know how to do that automatically. But it's often undervalued. And so is filmmaking because it's so accessible for everyone. Speaking of storytelling, this just came to mind that I was working on a film several years ago about a painter who was just in his 80s when he had a stroke and he had to learn to paint again. But through the interviews we did with him, someone would ask how long it took him to do a particular painting, like the one of Marilyn Monroe or the one of other royalty, whoever it would be. And his answer was, he referred to his age. And he said, 80 years, meaning his experience is a lifetime of working and how do you put a value on that? So if someone wants to work with me or whomever, to think about the value and the dedication that photographers or filmmakers put in and the time that they put in, and it's really a lot of time. And to learn about what makes, say, a jump cut effective. And it's something you can, the client can ask and they should ask and say, how do you edit? And why is this particular film more effective than another one? In the way it's edited, for instance. It's something as simple as what is a jump cut? That type of knowledge and being curious, the same way I'm curious in, about all these different topics, for the client to be curious and understand the process more. So that way they're on the same page easily as a company like me would be. And why it's important to have a graphic designer come in and design the movie poster versus doing it in Canva, for instance. There's so many things that are added into this that are valuable to really create the branding and the image that the company wants to have, the client wants to have complicated but it's, yeah. it's the best way to describe it and people may not realize that i think it would be great to have you just drill down a little bit deeper into the criteria that somebody who's having headshots done 
and somebody who's having a film mate. They're very different. What are some of the important things you think that people need to know about when making that decision? What do they need to know? They're probably not going to think to ask about a jump shot, right? They, or a jump cut or whatever. Jump it is. Cut. They're probably not going right. to jump shots basketball. They're probably not going to right. ask you about a jump cut. That's what the photographer would. Okay. Yeah. So what do they need to know? What do they need to assess? You talked about the man who's 80 years old. And he said, well, I've been taking me 80 years. So it sounds yeah. like experience means something. We'll talk a little bit more about that, please. I think that really falls into the area of consultation, which... I don't want to use the word lump that in because that sounds strange, but I merged that into sales and why hire me. And the, cons- the consultation process is where I would sometimes take the lead and explain those little details about the jump cut or what to wear during a headshot session. And I feel out the conversation and the level of education someone has and the experience they have with working with the photographer, whether it's their first time or their 50th time, or have they ever created a video, or they've created 30 projects. So by me asking questions in that consultation process, that gives me a better understanding of where the client is coming from. And then it turns into a feedback loop of me educating them and getting up to speed on their particular project. And I I think that's, again, that's another thing that I, I, it's not that I offer, it's just who I am and what I bring to the table as far as why hire me. So at least in your case, there's something about a consultative process that goes on, and you would see that as an important criterion. What about, John, memberships, credentials? Should a filmmaker or photographer belong to this association, that association, something like that? Is that something that I should be looking for when I hire? Yeah, that's a really good question. Membership-based organizations have struggled for a long time now, and I was maybe a 10-year member, I want to say, of ASMP, the American Society of Media Photographers. And I ran the local board in Philadelphia, and I, was, I spent some time on the national board. It was always a struggle of how to gain members. And I don't know where they are now, in a sense, because I, I dropped a lot of memberships over the years when I thought we weren't a good fit anymore, where they were going where I was going. But there's something about learning from your peers in the business. And I learned ton that was a valuable information and had such great discussions when I was with ASMP. And also to look back into the roots of who we are as photographers, again, specifically speaking about photography. When we were moving the Philadelphia office down south further to DC at the time, I was able to go through all the records of who our photographers were, the founding members. And I had Ansel Adams' original application in my hand from the file, and he listed his address as Yosemite. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's and I realized, oh, this these are our roots and seeing the handwritten letters and correspondence about being respected as an art form back from in the 1940s or 30s or whatever, I forget what year it was. That really made a difference. Yeah. So what you're saying, I think, John, is it's nice if somebody can show that they have these affiliations, these memberships, but maybe it's not necessarily a deal maker or a deal breaker. Correct, because there's so many independent producers and filmmakers and photographers that had to learn it on their own. So as long as their work is good and is effective, memberships are important, but I don't think it's the end-all, be-all anymore like it used to be. Okay. We've covered a lot here. What else would you like our listeners to know about in terms of what you do, what Rare Light Media does? For example, you've been in parts of Pennsylvania, you've gone into New Jersey. 
I believe you might have said you went to Virginia. Are there limits to where you go geographically? Will you go to California? Will you go to Iceland? You mentioned Iceland. Anything else did you'd like to add that you think people need to know about you and Rare Light Media? I think it's a good example of my project, which is still called Title the Gray and my recent trip to Virginia, and we're having another one coming up. It's really about the idea of going that extra length to explore and learn the story in depth. And that's so important. And also not to be afraid to get into the personal aspects of filmmaking, because once you're doing a documentary, you get to know everyone you're working with very well. That's so important to learn about Kim and her, the writing and the stories she has. And then to go to Virginia and to learn more about that geographic area and not be so limited to thinking as this is just a business. It's really about what we value as storytellers and who people are. This film is really going to be about that. It's about people and relationships. And I think that comes first before the business. And those results will show up in the business aspect if you tell the story authentically and really hit that mark. I really agree with you that authenticity is really important and that no matter what business you're in, and certainly the business you're in, photography and filmmaking, getting to know more about other people, other places is really important. It's not just a business here that we're involved with. John, if you could just let us know where do you do your work? Sure. The work that I do is in a lot of places, not just Pennsylvania, up and down the East Coast of the U.S., but also I've been to Midwest and I've been to California, and I'm hoping to go back overseas soon and do some more filming for several projects, actually. Yeah, so the idea is that although we've talked a lot about Virginia and Pennsylvania and so forth, you did, of course, mention Iceland, that you are interested and able, depending on the situation, to work in all kinds of places around the globe. Yeah, that, that's correct. That comes from my journalism background. We go where the story is. Something else I would like to add about the business and where I've come from and where I am now, and it's regarding the future, is where I'm going to end up filming. And it could be Iceland again. I love to go back and film more versus just still photography. And that's something that I would like to do. But now I have other projects like The Grey the film. And there's a good chance that we'll go to Ireland to see the roots of where the horse that's famous and now buried at Kentucky Horse Park. There's a gravestone for this wow. horse. Uh, yeah, it's really, the scope of this is amazing. And to see where that breed came from, that line of horses. I don't know if I'm getting that right into the horse world, but the equestrian world. But I have a great writer and team that brought me into the project, actually. It was, it was already formed. So we're actually forming a new company from the film. That's what's needed sometimes. So there's a lot to be said of where that's going to end up. Yeah. It's exciting to be part of that. And what I can see, John, is clearly when you get involved in a project, you immerse yourself in the project. It's not just a project. It's almost like somebody be making a movie. It's a big feature movie, feature length movie. Yeah. And it also appears as though if you had to, Somebody lived in Ireland or some other place that that would be fine. Iceland, you'd go back and you would work with them to make the film. And I can see again that you put a lot of energy and emphasis into each project. You like to get to know the people first. And I can also see that you're the kind of person people could call and just get an idea about whether or not it would make sense for you to work with them or not. And you would, seems to me, generously share a tip or two with them in the process. 
Sure. When I add to that, there are two things I think about is one is you have to live the story that you're working on. And also that's a big criteria on my end, but on the other end of being the right shit, in the same way I'll choose people for the, the client and vice versa. I was brought in for the gray because of what I do. Find the right shit. And you're not always going to be the right fit either way. And that's the world. That's how that works. And I tell photographers that sometimes you get the best work, but you're not the right fit for the client. And that's okay. But it's better to find the right fit and have the relationship that works. Yeah, we see that in just about any field. You hear this with people when they might be seeing a psychologist or a doctor. You hear this all the time. You got to make sure that the fit is right. So I'm glad that you added that. So if people want to learn more about you, John, they want to learn more about Rare Light Media. What's the easiest way for them to find out about that? The easiest way is to find me on the website, which is rarelightmedia.com. And they can see the new company's work there. I still have johnwellshphotography.com, which has more of my still photographs than video. And LinkedIn, the usual social channels. Okay. And just to make sure everybody knows, John's last name is spelled W-E-L-S-H. And where are you based out of? Right now, I'm based out of Philadelphia. Out of the Philadelphia area. Because there could be other John Welshes. There's other Jeff Ostrovs. Just to make sure people geographically, if you know where he's based out of, not that he's limited again to that area. John, it has been great having you on Voices in the Spotlight. Thanks for sharing all this information, some insights, information about the way you work, what makes you different. We truly appreciate that. And we hope that our listeners will avail themselves of your services. Thank you very much for having me on and having me talk about the business and the future of it. You've been listening to Voices in the Spotlight. If you like this show, please share it with others, like it, and subscribe. And if you would like us to shine the spotlight on you or on someone you know, let us know on the Contact Us page at www.jeff-ostroff.com.